And if you'd open your Bibles, please, to the book of Luke, chapter 13. Luke, chapter 13. We're going to begin reading in verse uh, 1, and we'll read verses 1 through 5. And we're going to begin a study tonight on repentance. I've been thinking about this a lot, and uh, it's a very important doctrine. And I'm going to give you some church history just a little bit in the era of the church in which I was uh, brought up and saved and grew in grace. Uh, but I want you to think about this. We're going to ask the question, is repentance necessary? And, uh, of course, the answer is yes. But uh, a lot of people don't know that. You'd be surprised. So I'd ask that you listen very, very carefully uh, you need to know this for you. You need to know what you believe, why you believe it from God's Word, so you can have an answer to give every man that asketh you of the hope that is within you. And so uh, this is really, really important. All right, Luke chapter 13, verse 1. It says, There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, and Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwell in Jerusalem? I tell you nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Is repentance necessary? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd bless the uh, study. Pray that it would have uh, an impact on our life. Help us to reaffirm some things. Help us to uh, get these things established uh, as one of the first principles of the doctrine of Christ. Hebrews chapter 6. We pray that you would uh, give us wisdom, help us to rightly divide the word of truth, help us to be uh, speak in an honoring way uh, to the men that have gone before us, uh, but help us to stand for the truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, what I say tonight, I want to say it very wisely. I respect all the great men who've gone before me, but I do not believe something just because a great man said it, or he taught it, or it was a part of his uh, ministry. Whenever there's a great truth or doctrine, obviously it's very, very important. So four things are going to happen. Most people are going to be ignorant of that because the devil doesn't want them to know. Uh, he'll try to hide it from them so that they do not know it. If he can't do that, secondly, there will be some type of a deception. They will not know the truth. They will be deceived concerning that truth or doctrine. The third possibility is there will be a percentage of an understanding of the doctrine. 
So they'll know something about it, but not everything. They may know some things about the doctrine as it applies to one part of the Bible, probably not all of it. And then the fourth thing that will happen is there's going to be a lot of false doctrine because that's the way the devil works. Something that is very, very important. Uh, people will be ignorant. They'll be deceived. They'll only know part of it. Or they'll be totally confused and deceived. And then what we want to do as Bible believers, rightly divide the word of truth. Uh, we need to know these things. Anybody can know these things. So what we need to do is, as always, let go of our own ideas, our own thoughts, our own upbringing, our own denominationalism, whatever it is, our own wishes and wants of our own desires for our loved ones, our families in the ministry, because there is no private interpretation of Scripture. If, if you believe something and I believe something else, somebody's wrong. That's the reality. There is only one truth, and you can do nothing against the truth but for the truth. So we want to ask a few questions and answer them. What is repentance? And is it necessary, number one, to be saved? Do you have to repent to be saved? Or do you just believe on Christ, trust Him as your Savior to be saved? Secondly, is repentance necessary to get right with God? Uh, most of us know the answer to this question. But you'd be pretty... You'd be surprised how many people who are confused with this. So we being as uh, independent Baptists, we are an autonomous local church. We're not a member of any uh, association, um, convention, things of that matter. You would be surprised how many independent Baptists, how many camps there are that have many different ideas and take stances on the doctrine of repentance. And a lot of them are full of hate. They're full of anger. They slander other Baptists. They attack other Baptists. They make false accusations uh, about other Christians. And so the independent fundamental Baptist movement just because it's independent Baptist does not necessarily mean it's the good church. Don't ever forget that. You cannot categorize everything into one lump group. Just because it's an independent fundamental Baptist, uh, they may have yoked up in a camp or clique of other independent fundamental Baptist churches that are not doctrinally sound. So I, I warn you, be very careful and so as I proceed, I'm very aware of James, I think it's chapter 3, be not many masters, for we shall receive the greater condemnation. Anybody who teaches the Bible will be judged very severely by God. We must know the truth. We must forsake error. So I proceed very cautiously. In the independent fundamental Baptist movement, as it's called, there are many camps. 
which are segmented, but then there are fellowships with these independent, autonomous local churches that get together, and they have a reputation. So I'm, I'm not going to go into all of them. You have the Sword of the Lord camp. You have the Southwide Baptist Fellowship camp. You have the camp meeting crowd of the Deep South. You've got this California group. There is a cultic new movement called the New Independent Fundamental Baptist. You run from them as far as you can. Um, so you say, well, how could that be uh, if they're independent Baptists? Very easily, because Satan is very cunning. They're either ignorant, deceived, have a partial knowledge, or they're totally given over to false doctrine. Now, there's a lot of great churches out there. I'm not, I'm not uh, specifically talking about any of them, but this would, might shock some of you. There are many independent Baptist churches who teach Catholic doctrine. And there's three of them specifically. Well, there's four counting what we're talking about tonight. One of them is they teach a post-tribulation rapture. It's very popular right now. Or Marvin Rosenthal came up. He just passed away out of Florida, a pre-wrath rapture. Um, if you believe your Bible, if you rightly divide the word of truth, if you know Daniel 9, if you look at Revelation 4, it is uh, in the chronology, you know that there's a pre-tribulation rapture. We've preached on that recently. This is in the Jesuit writings of the Catholic Church. They teach a post-tribulation rapture. Many Baptists teach that. Secondly, they teach replacement theology, that the church has replaced Israel that God was angry with Israel because they crucified Christ, and now God has completely cut off Israel, and the New Testament church is the new Israel, and that is not true. We are spiritual Israel, but we are the bride of Christ. And when the rapture's over, uh, and we go up to meet the Lord in the air, the church age is over, God will return to Israel. They will become the head of all nations, not the tail. Israel is God's chosen people. They teach this. Independent Baptist churches. They also teach, number three, that America is Rome, not Rome. In the mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, in Revelation 17 other places, they, do, they teach that it's not Rome. You know why? Because Rome's trying to cover it up. These are all Catholic doctrines. The last one we're talking about tonight is that you don't have to repent. You don't have to be sorry and turn from your sin. You can just change your mind about Jesus, who He is, who you're trusting to go to heaven, but you don't need a heart change or a turning from sin in your heart. That's as Catholic as you can get. You know, you can do whatever you want. Go confess it to the priest. Everything's okay. Live the way you want. Confess it to the priest. Everything's okay. So this is guy. And you know what one of the main, if you study the Jesuits, so you have the... Uh, Franciscans and the Jesuit sects, 
they plant people in churches that preach against the Catholics, and it's a Jesuit in disguise. Look it up. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Satan is very cunning. Now, these people, a lot of them call Bible believers heretics. They do. Now, I don't want you to get into YouTube much, but it's, it's all over the place. Watch out. So, I will say this. There are some independent fundamental Baptists that are Bible believers, that are, and there are some that are not Bible believers. They are fundamentalists, and they chose what they major on. They don't believe the whole Bible. They may claim to. I know what they believe. I've talked to them. I've dealt with it. Many of them do not. So in order to be a Bible believer, you have to be a dispensationalist. And by the way, they call dispensationalists heretics. I'm telling you, this is all over America. To be a Bible believer, you have to rightly divide the word of truth. You need to know the verses that apply to certain people during certain times where God made a covenant with his people. And this is crucial to being a Bible believer. So are we going to believe the Bible or believe what a fundamentalist says? Are you going to be a Bible believer or what some great man said? So what is the main issue? This is very important. You say, well, is it sin or uh, repentance? Well, the main issue is the new birth. This is where it all boils down to. Because the new birth doctrine is regeneration. To be born again, John chapter 3. Verily, verily I say unto thee, ye must be born again, Jesus said. If you are born again, that means, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So if someone is saved, they are born again. And if they're born again, they're a new creature. That means that through the regeneration, the work of God, they have a changed heart. They have a changed mind. They have changed motives, changed affections, desires, all things have become new. That doesn't mean you're perfect. means that you had a heart change. means that you got regenerated. So if you're saved, that means you will love righteousness and hate iniquity. But something's changed in your life. You're not going to love the same things you used to. You're not going to want to live the way you used to. And you're going to begin to think differently. Why? Because your spirit is brought back to life, regenerated. Your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's going to be a change in your beliefs, your behavior, your heart, your mind, your nature. Why? 
1 John 3, you are uh, born again, you have a new nature. 1 Peter says you are born of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So what is happening is they're teaching that repentance is all you have to do is change your mind. And I was taught this. I mean, it's, this is all over America in fundamentalism. Change your mind about Jesus. Change your mind about who you trust to go to heaven. Change your mind, your mind. So the question is this, a couple questions. Must there be a changed life in order for someone after they're saved, if they put their faith in Christ, is it absolutely necessary that their life changes? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. How can you believe on Christ, be born again, and nothing happen? But see, the heresy is that you can do that, change your mind, live the same way, and you're saved. And this is all over America going on right now. Secondly, can there be regeneration without a changed life? Can you be born again, regenerated by a work of God, translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son, and nothing happen? Nothing. So, here's what happens. They have to do this to justify the numbers game. They have to. They have to do this to justify statistics, promotions. And, and I've seen it. I was, I was there. I've watched it. I know what I'm talking about. So here we have in the text, we've been discussing this lately, at the mouth of two witnesses shall every word be established. If it is a true doctrine, it will be at least two times in the Word of God. In this text, Jesus said twice, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That's not good enough? Let me say it again. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So let's be honest. We, we're all part of this. You know, I've been soul winning since 1982. Preaching since 1982. Why is it that very few people who pray the sinner's prayer, who go through the motions of the Romans road, never even come to church? You tell me. Why is it that some of them who come to church only come once or twice, never come back? You tell me from God's word. If you have a new creature in Christ and you don't want to do what you used to do and Christ is in you, why are these things happening? So, you know, I, I quote these verses all the time. Paul said, I thank God I baptized none of you. I'm not into the numbers game. I'm not going to play this cult of personality thing where I love Paul and you love Peter and you love Apollos. And remember what God did to David for numbering the people, counting. Now, 
there is a balance between we want to grow, right? We want to increase. If you're alive, you're growing, right? We want to grow. We're praying for increase in attendance. But we want to be doctrinally sound. So the next thing these people do is they use Calvinism to attack Bible believers. Now, I'm not going to go into what Calvinism is. It's tulip. There's a five-point outline. Uh, we are not Calvinists. I do not believe in that, that God only died for some people. You know, it's total heresy. But they, what they do is they take the conviction part and the drawing part and the life change, and because they're, they're so much into only the change mind and the numbers game, as I call it, that they, they use Calvinism and hyper-Calvinism, whatever you want to call it, and they use that, and then they attack people and falsely accuse them of being Calvinists. Because they, they, a lot of them don't even really study what a Calvinist is. They just say, well, you're a Bible believer. You're a Calvinist. So... We can, if you have any questions on that, uh, let me know. So, once again, Bible doctrine, God's Word. Is it a necessity for somebody to have a change if they're saved? Well, what does 2 Corinthians 5.17 say? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are become new. So, secondly then, must a sinner repent in order to be saved? Well, what does Jesus say? Don't believe what I said. Jesus just said twice in this five verses, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Paul in Acts 17 in his sermon on Mars Hill said, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. In time past, he winked at their ignorance. He commands that they Repent. Now, I'm going to give you just a very short history of what I've been through. Some of you really know this. You've been there. You're, you're older than I am. Of what has happened in Baptist church history, Bible believers church history. So the Southern Baptist Convention was the greatest denomination that's ever been on earth. There was also the American Baptist Convention and the Northern Baptists. The Southern Baptists split because of the Civil War, but they knew systematic theology. They studied the Bible. They didn't just pick a few things and be fundamental. They studied all the Bible. And, but what happened is they went apostate because they tried to get numbers, the numbers game. We're losing attendance. The Methodists did. All of them have done it. Uh, United Methodists. They had a split. So they begin to allow things which were not scriptural. And if you give your money to them, you are basically supporting what they believe. Because if you tithe to your local church, a part of that goes to the Southern Baptist Convention. So you're guilty of supporting many of their unscriptural practices. Boy, I'm saying this nicely. So, 
I was saved in the Southern Baptist Church. People are still getting saved in Southern Baptist churches. You'd be surprised how many independent Baptists don't believe you can get saved unless you're in a fundamental They're preaching the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But what happens is they forfeited all their power. You know how many hospitals they own? Look in San Antonio, they have, I don't know how much money and power. So what happened was there was a move of great men who recognized this. They repented and came independent Baptists. They came out of the Southern Baptist Convention. No longer a member, no longer giving their money, no longer going to the convention to vote. It became independent, like the Bible teaches, autonomous local churches. There's a lot of great men. So, and, and I, don't, I don't know all of them. I, I knew of, of a few. J. Frank Norris, John R. Rice, uh, Lester Roloff, um, Lee Robertson, Tennessee Temple, Jack Hiles. And there, there's many others uh, that led the way. This is just a few. So, what happened was somehow these cult of personalities begin and men, members begin to follow men and not God. They begin to follow what a man said and not read the Bible and not have the conviction to say, wait a minute, that's not right. And so a cult of personality set in with these blind followers where the wife is the first lady of the church and she's the queen. All this weird, it's, it, they teach this stuff. You, you don't know this? Uh, I could tell you a lot of stuff. Making a statue, it, it's really idolatry. And it, it becomes a cult. They follow a man, and, and it's wrapped up in a certain man. I'm not going to call his name because I respect him. They're following. They don't even realize they've been affected by these things. So they are fundamentalists. They're not Bible believers. Now they say they're Bible believers. They're King James only. You know, they go soul winning. They preach. They're separated. They have dress standards. All these things, but they they're not what we call a Bible believer. So. There's exceptions. Lester Roloff believed in repentance more than anybody's ever lived. He had more conviction probably than any man's ever lived. But he wasn't a dispensationalist. You know, uh, he didn't study the Bible. He just preached hard against sin and won souls. This is who I got, you know, called and saved under. Um, so there's exceptions. So. But what happened was, there's a great majority of them. I'm not saying all. There's some great churches out there. They believe repentance is you only have to change your mind. And one of the forerunners of this was Curtis Hudson, who took over for the sword of the Lord when John R. Rice died. He went all over America preaching, you can get saved by just changing your mind. And so they started this Romans road where one, two, three, repeat after me. And since God will accept you just as you are, bow your head. Oh, you change your mind. You're on your way to heaven. Fill out this card. We're going to write that down on the statistics. So 
Then, though, there always were Bible believers, and some of them came out of the Southern Baptist Convention. So I was introduced by, to dispensationalism by a man named Herschel Williams. He was in Dallas. Uh, we, my brother and I went up there in 1983. He started, he goes, let me tell you something, boys, you're called to preach. Let me show you the truth. And he had a big old church big, in Dallas. I think he had 10 members. I mean, massive auditorium, you know, vaulted, huge ceiling that probably seated, I don't know, three, 400 people. I don't know. I, I lose. It's way back there. But he's the one who taught me that. Now, then when, when you read Clarence Larkin's book on dispensational truth, and then the, the main proponent, though, was Dr. Peter Ruckman, who God really used to help me and open my eyes to these things. So this is what has happened, and there were dispensationalists at roll-offs. So what, what I want you to see is, you can't lump everybody into a little group here. Roloff believed in repentance, wasn't a dispensationalist. There were people at Roloffs who didn't believe in repentance, but they were dispensationalists. And I, there was a missionary going to Mexico. He came over to our house. He said, you need to read this book, Dispensational Truth. So when, when I got saved, we, I found this, my brother and I found this book. We took it to our pastor. He said, you throw that in the trash right now. And it was the deep, you know, it's one of them really, it was a good book. He said, we don't want anything to do that. But there, there were, just to say this, certain subjects, if you even brought it up, you would be expelled from college. All right? Because it went against numbers. It went against repentance. It went against truth. It went against regeneration that you have to have a change in order to be saved. Now, if you're here tonight, I'm sure hoping you're born again. Why else would you come to church on a Wednesday night? You know why you're here? Something changed in your life. Something changed in your heart. You didn't just pray a prayer like all these other people and they're still living the same old way. So let me give you a few things here to conclude. Number one, and, and I, we're going to hopefully go into the details of all this, Lord. Will. Number one, you do have to change your mind. You have to change your mind about who Jesus is, what he did on the cross, who are you going to trust, or what are you going to trust to save you? You change your mind. Secondly, you have to have an emotional change. These are all in the words when you study it. What does God require? A broken and a contrite spirit. Godly sorrow leadeth thee to repentance, right? It worketh repentance. You have to be sorry for what you've done and how you've lived. You have to have a, an emotional turning. Guilt, pricking. If, if you didn't get that, there's something wrong. Next, number three, a change of judgment on past action. This is the word. I've done wrong. It wasn't right. 
I want to start doing what God wants me to do. I'm turning. I change my judgment on what's right or wrong. Not only what I think, not only what I feel, but how I see life. And then number four, and they don't like this, to change principle and practice. And I can show you all the words. This is all in the Greek. So when, when I went to college, we were taught to do exegesis. You go to the original Greek, New Testament, you rewrite the King James in the Greek and redefine it. And we, all the Bible believers said, uh, this is called exit Jesus, not exit Jesus. I hope, did you get that, the play on the word? When you correct the Bible, God's out of there. You mess with the King James, God will mess with your head. You need to exegete. I don't want to exit Jesus. Uh, but anyways, these are all the words in the Greek. So the last one is change your principle and practice. I mean, how more simple can you get? You don't do this to earn your salvation. This is all a spiritual, miraculous work of God. He gives you repentance. It's a gift. You don't earn it. You don't buy it. It's a miraculous work that coincides with faith. So, to conclude, if you'd please turn for tonight, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You know, it's amazing how your average person just can't read the Bible and let God be true and every man a liar. I don't know how you can explain this away. So let's look at chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 7. He says, So that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord. The word's coming out of that church in Thessalonica. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Look at this. Your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Now look at verse 9. For they themselves show of us what mannering of entering in we had unto you. And how, look at this, ye turned, that's repentance, turning to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us, praise the Lord, from the wrath to come. Look what is in these great verses. Number one, they turned to God from idols. So, would they be saved if they still served their idols, but changed their mind about God, but didn't turn from their idols to God? They said, no, we want to believe in God, but we still worship Baal. We still worship Chemosh. We still worship Moloch. We still worship Ashtaroth. No. They turn to God from their idols. So then, what does it say? They serve the living and the true God. Their whole life changed. Their whole purpose changed. They're serving God. And then what does it say? Waiting. Boy, look at that verse, verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, 
waiting for the rapture, the second coming, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. This is repentance. You know, you don't, it's not works. We're justified by faith. But you cannot have faith unless there's a miraculous turning and a change in your mind, your heart, your will, your behavior. Not to be saved, and not even because you're saved. We're not, this isn't even you, you do these things because you're saved. This is just the work of God. If you get born again, regeneration, you're going to be a new creature. You're just not going to think the same. You're not going to feel the same. You're not going to believe the same. And you're not going to do the same. Why? Because it's a work of God. So, you know what's the scary thing is? They're trying to get people saved without a work of God. And that's what's scary. Through, I call it, the numbers game. All right. So, preach the gospel. Go soul winning, pass out tracts. Let God do the work. Don't try to convince somebody of something. They'll know it if it happens. And let's pray for the power of God. So what did Jesus say? No man can come unto me, lest my Father draw him. Amen. All right, let's stand.